0: This is Fordham Conversations on 90.7 FM and WFUV.org. I'm Mary Wilson. Today, a profile of City Squash, a nonprofit organization that's introducing elementary and middle school students in the Bronx to the world of squash.
1: Squash in America is a rich white sport, or traditionally it has been, and so that's the background of most of the people who play the sport.
0: City Squash is working to change that by recruiting students who are of little means but are majorly motivated to participate in its academic programs designed to see them through high school and college. City Squash offers tutoring and mentoring, high school placement help and college prep, all the while coaching its participants to become competitive squash players. At this City Squash practice four middle schoolers balance upturned rackets on the floor and spin them like tops. It's a pre-game ritual. The logo imprinted on the bottom of each racket handle can read a couple different ways depending on whether it's right side up or upside down. City Squash coach Esteban Espinal explains.
2: They they spin it to see who serves. For example at Wilson it has a W, so it lands like this. It's an M or a W. You just pick, so M or W. And if it's M, you serve and you serve. They do it the same in tennis. Okay. So it's like throwing a coin, or you do it with a racket. One, two, three, two, three. Left,
1: right, left. Oh.
0: Squash is a sport of skill, but every game begins with this play of the odds. Winners get the first serve. Losers play at a slight disadvantage. The students in this program are all playing at a disadvantage. They're growing up poor in the inner city. Here, access is rare to the education and employment opportunities which are often necessary to choose a life that doesn't require government assistance or land you in jail. Tim Wyant is the executive director of City Squash. He launched the organization in 2002, but his history with squash goes back much further when he was a young athlete who found himself on the inside of the members-only world of squash.
1: I grew up playing at the Cincinnati Country Club, so golf, tennis, squash. It was in a nice neighborhood, uh, a suburb of Cincinnati called Hyde Park. When I would travel to the East Coast to play tournaments, I would um, get to know a lot of other junior squash players. They all had the same background as I did. They played at country clubs and prep schools and university clubs and cities. So I was always struck by the fact that the game was played by such a limited subset of the population. You couldn't help but notice that because I played other sports, of course, soccer and, and basketball, tennis. I played all sports growing up, and it was noticeable that only in squash did all the kids look like me and come from backgrounds like me.
0: Parents with white-collar jobs. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: I mean, th- th- squash in America is a rich white sport, or traditionally it has been, and so uh, that's the background of most of the people who play the sport
0: and you were noticing all this even then even as a kid
1: I'm not sure if I was noticing it as a 7 year old but certainly as as I progressed through the juniors it was it was it was apparent and I do remember going to a tournament in New York City and being struck by the presence of a black girl who was playing in one of the junior tournaments and I was struck by her presence because she was the only African American junior squash player I ever came across in in the juniors. Hmm. So that 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 was noticeable and it was obviously disappointing that there that there weren't more players from different backgrounds playing the sport.
0: City Squash is part of the larger urban squash movement, whose mission is to bring players of more varied backgrounds to the sport. The National Urban Squash and Education Association has eight member organizations besides City Squash. Each one is based in an inner city. Each one offers a combination of programs meant to provide economically disadvantaged children the athletic and academic support they need to be competitive applicants to elite high schools and colleges.
1: Urban squash is a big idea for two reasons. One is that it's very new for squash that this sport would be opened up to a larger cross-section of the population. More broadly, it's a very effective means to combat the disparities between rich and poor in the United States. It's a great it's a great model for giving kids from communities like the Bronx a chance to get an education and improve their lot in life. It's a small movement, relatively speaking. Urban squash, there are only nine programs in the country now. And we only serve collectively 1,000 or 2,000 kids around the country. But we do a really good job of making a difference in their lives and giving them more opportunities. So I was very struck then and now by just how effective a tool it is to try to, to serve the poor.
0: Can you line up the average kid who would play squash with you back in Hyde Park? Mm -hmm. and a kid who plays squash it's city squash today who lives in the Bronx.
1: The kids who played squash in Hyde Park and communities in Greenwich and uh, Philadelphia that I got to know as a junior squash player were the, the sons and daughters of doctors and lawyers and business people and the students in our program here live in the Bronx many of their families live with government assistance are on welfare many of our students have parents who have spent time incarceration. From a socioeconomic point of view the experiences of the kids growing up playing squash that I knew versus the students who we serve, the differences are significant.
0: For a game to play squash you can't go to a basketball court on the corner. Mm-hmm. Where are these kids going to, to play a tournament?
1: Because squash is played at country clubs and prep schools and university clubs, city clubs, the the very experience of playing the sport exposes our students in city squash to communities that they otherwise wouldn't be exposed to and those communities are defined by um, well they're, they're affluent communities that are populated by people who are very well educated and so the experience of playing squash for our kids exposes them to a world very very different from their own world, and and what I think it does is it gives them a little taste of what they themselves can enjoy if they work hard and set their minds to achieving their goals. So if they if they do better in school, if they work hard as squash players, they just might have the opportunity to win a scholarship to prep school. They might have the opportunity to go to a four-year college, and to someday be in the same opportunity as. Are in the same place as the people who they've met through squash.
0: What are some of the services that you provide the kids who are who are participants beyond squash practice?
1: Uh, a lot. The two pillars of the program of City Squash are squash and academics. So about half the time that our students spend with us is spent in the classroom. They have homework help, test prep, literacy. We have a book club. It's not good enough. It's it doesn't do enough to simply show them this other world and to introduce them this sport which will expose them to institutions of higher learning and that sort of thing. Coupled with that exposure and the experience of playing the sport, there has to be the support to actually become a better student so that they can prepare to go to good high schools and colleges. Does 7 times 31 equal 31 times
0: 7? At one of the after-school academic sessions at middle school 45 in the Bronx, City Squash staff member Maggie Roth supervised a room of 15 City Squash students. Some had their heads propped up with their hands, and they completed vocabulary drills. Others were tapping on computer keyboards. One student was perfecting his origami craft. He hadn't gotten it quite right that day in class, he said. After seven hours of class, these kids have to sit in this warm classroom for another two hours until squash practice begins at 5.30. But Roth says these kids are motivated by more than what comes at the end of the day.
2: We have a lot of carrots, so squash, is a carrot for these kids to do their homework not just to do their homework but to grow academically and go to good high schools and good colleges we send a lot of students to boarding school and private school for high school we use that a lot in the classroom like I could say to Markel you know well in boarding school you're going to need to learn how to write paragraphs that are seven sentences and not three sentences and sort of well, you know, when you go off to boarding school, you're going to need to do this. So it really motivates them. It's this long-term goal that's
0: motivating them. Oh, all these kids see boarding school as a goal. A lot of them do, yeah. But Tim Wyatt says students don't necessarily enter City Squash itching to get out of the Bronx and go away for school. When you take kids to a country club in another neighborhood, when you're taking kids from the Bronx to a club in Greenwich, maybe, mm-hmm. has there ever been a point where you've seen a kid whose perspective went from you know, around here, just mm. it, where the limits of their perspective it was just like the outer edges of the Bronx and just saw it expand like right before mm. your eyes.
1: I'd say it's a pretty gradual process. It's not a process that happens in an instant. And that speaks to the values of urban squash in general and also of city squash in particular. We begin working with students in third grade when they're as young as seven years old and don't finish working with our students until they graduate from college. So you're talking about years and years of our investment in them. And it's over the course of those years, hundreds and hundreds, if not thousands of hours, that, that they're involved with our program that the lessons are being learned. So I wouldn't say that, there, that there's a single moment. But I would say that I'll never forget the first tryout that we had. This is in 2002. We had sixth graders from MS45, which is across the street from Fordham. We had 32 kids try out that year, and we walked through the gate at Fordham on Bathgate Avenue. And once we'd gotten through the gate, the campus opens up, and there's this beautiful quad. And all these kids were amazed to see so much grass. They were, like, started to run on the grass, and they were just, like, so excited. And so, where are we? You know, what is this? And meanwhile, these are kids who live right here in the neighborhood next to Fordham University, but they'd never... They'd never actually been on the campus, so they'd never really seen a college before. And that moment in and of itself was special, but what's more special is that, that they can go there all the time, that they walk onto that campus and then it doesn't become a novel experience for them to see what a college is like, but that it becomes familiar to them. So, th- sure, there are those moments. We've, we've been to wonderful colleges. Our kids have traveled all over the New York area, all over the country. Some of our kids have even traveled abroad. Um, and in all those experiences, they're seeing things that they never would have seen. But it's the, it's the number of times that they have those experiences. It's the amount of colleges that they see, the number of people who they've met who've gone to college, the number of people who have totally different backgrounds as, as theirs that makes our program effective.
0: Have you seen a kid whose life has really just hopped onto a different track because of their involvement in this program?
1: For sure. I would say most of our kids' lives have hopped onto another track because of the program. But but there are are some examples that are especially striking. We have a student named Jesse Pacheco who joined our program in 2003 as a 6th grader. Since joining the program... She won a scholarship to a wonderful boarding school in Newport, Rhode Island called St. George's, which is where Howard Dean went to school. She, about two weeks ago, found out that she is going to be accepted to Cornell University. That's that's a pretty amazing thing, because without the program, there's a pretty high degree of likelihood that that's not where she would have ended up. Mm
0: -hmm. Just because she wouldn't have had the resources that you guys could extend to her family, she wouldn't have had a chance to work on a skill, she wouldn't have had extra tutoring.
1: I think I, I think all the above. For one thing, she's a fabulous squash player. She's one of the best squash players in the country. You know, she became as strong as she is because she's had the opportunity to be in our program. So that certainly helped. She was recruited by Cornell to play squash there. Going to a college like Cornell just isn't a realistic option for kids in the Bronx. It just it doesn't really happen. <laughs>
0: This is Fordham Conversations more on City Squash and some of its students just after the break. This is Fordham Conversations on 90.7 FM and WFUV.org. I'm Mary Wilson. City Squash combines athletic training and academic support to help carefully selected students in the Bronx become competitive applicants to elite high schools and colleges. The nonprofit is part of a larger nationwide urban squash family that includes sister programs like Street Squash in Harlem, Squash Smarts in Philadelphia, and Squash Busters in Boston. Here's Executive Director of City Squash, Tim Wyant.
1: We think about what we're doing primarily in terms of education and access to college. So our focus is not in giving our kids the opportunity to make a lot of money. It's to give them the opportunity to go to good high schools and college where they, they can have the option to live in the neighborhood of their choice or to work in whatever type of job they would like to do. We at City Schools don't think or see things through the lens of class. Having said that, there's no question that the two communities that we are working in as a squash program sit at opposite ends of the class spectrum in the United States. We work with children who go to public schools in the Bronx and we expose them to a sport that's primarily played by by wealthy Americans. And so every day in their being exposed, to the sport, and in their being a part of City Squash, they're meeting people who come from entirely different backgrounds, not just different backgrounds, but very affluent backgrounds. I used to wonder if if there were some real problems with that experience for them, i.e., if they would become more cognizant of their class because of their exposure to the upper class, I think it would be naive for me to think that there's not some of that going on, but primarily, the effect has been very positive for our kids because they don't think of things in terms of money when they go to the suburbs and spend the night with a family in Connecticut uh, they're just excited to be in a beautiful place and to be able to run around in a yard and when they're mentored they're they're excited about having mentors not because they happen to come from money, or have a lot of money, they're excited because their mentors care about them and spend time with them.
0: Every time I learn something new about this program, you just mentioned it, when I first learned that kids would spend the night with a family that wasn't in the city, they'd get a yard. It's like the program has been engineered to fill in all the gaps of the experience of a kid who's been growing up poor and in the city. And I I guess I want to know what kind of meticulous thought has gone into that.
1: Well, we were modeled after Squash Busters in Boston, and so that's where the basic framework for City Squash came from. We've stolen a lot of ideas, but I think it comes from the basic notion that you look at where the deficits are in the lives of our students in communities like these. You look at what they're not getting, and you try to fill in the gaps. And so you just do it any way you can. If they don't have as many positive role models as they need, you give them positive role models you match them up with mentors if they if the food that they're eating in school isn't healthy you introduce or at home you introduce a nutrition program to them none of the no, none of this is rocket science we're just identifying problems that are widely understood throughout our society and try to try to you know address them
0: it's not rocket science but it is it is impressive that you guys are fundamentally looking for solutions in a place where it's really easy to feel defeated it's really easy to feel defeated in an inner city i'm wondering if maybe students who are involved families that are involved are able to kind of tap into that positive um, driven by solutions thinking that you apply to the problems in a student's life does that make sense?
1: yeah and I, i think that the families do respond i think the kids respond as well every morning we have optional practices before school at six thirty AM. The kids do not have to come. If they don't come, they are there are no consequences whatsoever. But every single day kids show up for this practice. It could be ten degrees outside. There will be kids waiting on the corner of Bathgate Avenue and Fordham Road ready to practice. Why do they do that? These these are kids that society in a lot of ways has discarded. Kids who many think don't have a chance and yet not only are they getting up but their parents are waking them up and feeding them breakfast and getting them to this to this street corner at 6:30 in the morning so they can train for an hour and that's pretty inspiring it reminds me that if you invest in kids that they will respond the other part of this is that that we are we are now and have always been a program that that focuses on individual kids and We are not, we don't want to become too big as an organization to the point that we lose our focus on trying to make a difference in every kid's life who is in our program. So we only serve 120 kids, and we have a staff of eight full-time who work with those 120 kids. And so we invest a lot in them, but that's our mission, that's our philosophy, that it's better to invest a lot in a relatively small number of kids because then the... The impact that you can have on them can be transformative, that you'll be able to see at the end of the road real examples of how the program has made a difference in their lives.
2: My, my name is Karina Lazaro. I'm in sixth grade, and I'm 11 years old. Mm-hmm. I've been with City Squash for two years.
0: Karina heard about City Squash when Tim Wyant came to her fourth grade class to talk about the program, so she tried out. And then
2: I made it. Well, my coach says I have a natural swing on squash, so
0: I guess that's a good thing. What about the days where like, you don't understand the homework and you don't, you're not doing well at squash? How do, you, how do you keep yourself coming back? You know, how do you keep going even when things aren't going well?
2: Well, I ask for help in the office on Tuesdays. I have tutoring when I have squash problems. I asked one of my coaches.
0: So there are always a good amount of people around to help you out if you need help.
2: Yeah, there's a lot of people in the office.
0: So you've brought up that you can only serve a few kids at a time. I, was, I sat in on a tutoring, kind of an after-school tutoring session at MS45, and I was talking to the um, staffer there. She said, you know, I did struggle at first with the fact that we're not helping kids who come from the bottom of the barrel. We're helping kids who are already doing well in school, who have good um, good behavior. I'm wondering if you struggled with that at all at first.
1: I did. I did struggle with it at first, but what we found quickly, what we found out quickly was that our investments in students who weren't willing to work hard were not paying off. In other words, that we would take a chance on a kid who didn't always come to practice or who didn't give his or her all at the practices that were attended, but a year or two later that student would often be out of the program because because they quit or there just wasn't the interest level. What we found here, given our program the way that it's set up, the only way we can be successful is if we work with kids who are motivated. That's not to say that students who don't make our program, who lack motivation, who happen not to be talented athletically, that they're not, that they shouldn't be invested in, that they aren't worthy of the support of our communities and schools and other after-school programs. But given the particularities of the way City Squash is organized, we're gonna have the biggest impact and be most successful if we work with a particular type of student, a motivated student.
0: Back at MS-45, just a few desks away from Karina Lazaro, sits Markel Nunez, a 7th grader, who is plowing through some math homework in the last few minutes before squash practice. Does this this make up a high point or a low point, this part of the day? Um, high point. Really? Yeah, this part of the day, because playing squash is fun. But you gotta do homework in order to play squash? Um, yeah. Still fun though. How long have you been playing squash for this program?
1: Um, since last year.
0: Is there like a high point of your time playing squash where you like remember a game you won or something you learned? My high point during playing squash
2: is when I win or when I like, I play really hard and it's a close match. Even if I lose in some matches and I tried my hardest, I still, it still feels like I won because
0: I tried so hard. What time
2: is
1: it guys, why don't we
2: start packing
0: up? Fordham University students who volunteer as tutors linger right behind the city squash students crowding the doorway. A few minutes later, the middle schoolers will be escorted to the Fordham courts across the street. Tim Wyatt says Fordham's support is crucial.
1: It's just very exciting that people have gotten behind the work that we're doing. Fordham University has students in our program on their campus almost every single day year round. That the university believes in our kids and supports our program that way is incredible. And the same is true for the many other schools and universities, clubs in the New York area and beyond that have made the work that we do possible. If if there weren't places like Fordham we would not operate and our kids, kids like Jesse, wouldn't have the opportunity to go to places like Cornell.
0: Do you ever think back to playing as a junior squash member and thinking that maybe this sport back then would take you to this place right here?
1: <laughs> well I never would have guessed back when I was a junior that I would be doing the work that I'm doing now. I, I For many years i had been interested in doing work that related to issues of social justice But I never would have guessed that I'd be doing this work. But I will say that now when I go to junior squash tournaments, I'm so amazed by the diversity of the squash players that I see. Kids from our program, kids from urban programs in other cities, and also kids who, who aren't from any urban program. There are just more kids playing squash from different backgrounds and different ethnicities. It's a very striking difference from from what I saw back when I was 7 years old going off to my first junior tournament.
0: For people who are interested in social justice, I would like to be able to apply that dogged pursuit of a solution in a situation where it's easy to feel defeatist. Mm-hmm. How would you advise them to get started?
1: I would start in the same way that we did, which was looking at existing models and and seeing what what worked. And so Here at City Squash, we looked at our sister program up in Boston and thought, you know what, that is an amazing organization, and we want to do the same kind of work. We were basically a copycat. And so, anybody who cares about uh, communities that are underserved can look in cities and states around the country and find examples of really effective organizations and groups that are addressing inequities. And so, I would start that way, and then once, once a basic model is identified that resonates with a particular person, the person can tweak it and improve it and make it their own. Um, I don't think people have to pull a rabbit out of the hat. They don't have to play a niche sport like squash in order to make a difference. They just need to look for something that works and then get involved.
0: Back at the university courts, the long day is almost over for City Squash students. Their coach today is Esteban Espinal. Three years ago, he was playing squash on the professional tour, and he represented Colombia's national team. Today, he's a benevolent dictator, mandating a set of serving drills. Push-ups.
2: Every bad serve is going to be five push-ups. So you have five. Five. No, yeah, five. Good ones. What do you think? That's good.
0: What do you think? That's good, Espinal says. And then, from across the court, another half-hearted serve.
2: Five push-ups.
0: This drill trains the player's strength and precision. But that's only part of the necessary skill set. Squash, Espinal says, is a game of careful plotting.
2: They call it like chess, but a more physical. You know, like you have to like just. It's a lot of strategy. Like in squash, you have to be very very smart you have to think a lot a lot <laughs> because many of them just they just hack the ball uh, as you seen, like all over the place and you're like saying like what, is, what, what are they doing like it, it doesn't look that organized okay but once you you see the better players it looks very organized and it's just like straight on the wall and it looks very like the movements and the, where the ball is with these kids it's almost like the ball is going all over the court so it, it looks like a little bit messy so it's trying to get them, like, really organized.
0: When the students finish their drills, they'll go back to playing matches. Any excuse to spin their rackets and play the odds oh, again.
2: They, they love that part. And <laughs> they get to throw their rackets, so they love
0: It's going to be me and him, though. we have to. we have to gets the same one. That's it for Fordham Conversations. You can find archived shows on WFUV.org or subscribe to our podcast. Become a fan of our Facebook page by searching WFUV's Fordham Conversations or follow us on Twitter. We're registered as Focon, that's F-O-C-O-N. Robin Shannon will be your host next week. For Fordham Conversations, I'm Mary Wilson.